Welcome. My name is Kareem Kanji, and this is episode 40. Welcome back, everyone. I've taken a few weeks off to enjoy this last month, uh, this last summer month with the family, uh, but I'm really excited to get back into studio and bring everyone conversations with some really amazing people. Remember, you can now find this welcome podcast on girthradio.com, Mixcloud, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play Music, and TuneIn. Uh, for more information, just visit kareemkanji.com. In the meantime, if you're here in Toronto, please consider visiting Pacific Junction Hotel at King & Sherbourne. It's an amazing place to watch the uh, Blue Jays push for a second playoff berth in a row. Okay, on with the show. Earlier this month, all eyes were on Rio. Brazil, as the best athletes competed in the latest edition of the Summer Games, in a few episodes, I'm going to speak with Georgia Sapunas. Georgia is the digital team lead for Team Canada and was actually a guest on episode number 28. Uh, when she comes back from her vacation after the Olympics, she'll be joining me in studio to chat about Team Canada's athletes. Today, however, I speak with award-winning writer from the Toronto Star, Morgan Campbell. Morgan is a returning guest of the podcast. He also appeared but on episode 18 today instead of talking about how canada fared against the world's best we talk about how the media covered these games and we actually start off with uh, an article and something that's going on currently uh the chatter around 49ers quarterback colin kaepernick um, and his decision not to stand for the national anthem i hope you enjoy this conversation Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. Colin Cape Kaepernick. Yes, you uh, you you wrote uh, you among many other people, I think. Yeah, uh, wrote about uh, his uh, national anthem protest. Yes. Um. So, so you know, before before we sort of debate that. Um, oh man, I didn't know we were debating. <laughs> Should have told me before we discuss. Fox, sorry, Fox be- Sports. Before we discuss. And plus, it's the wrong format. The sports debate show format is white guy, black guy. Uh, female moderator. Yeah. Yes. And uh, we have no white guy here, <laughs> and no female moderator. Exactly. At this time, but but you 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 defended his protest. Yep. Um, your your thoughts on you know why did you defend him? Um, and yeah, let's talk. Let's start from there. Let's. <laughs> to me, it's an absolute no brainer. Let's let's remember the steps of the protest first, right? Yeah. Uh. Because when you, th- when you listen to the criticism of the protest, people say, well, he should have found a different way to protest. He should have found a peaceful way to protest. So I literally did nothing but sit down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what's more peaceful than that, right? Because this is the thing when, when, when people in the contemporary era and people in the, in the 21st century want to agitate for civil rights and protest for civil rights and protest for black rights and brown people's rights, uh, the criticism from conservatives usually white people, but a lot of times conservative black people too. They say, well, uh, first is the the invocation of Martin Luther King. What would Martin Luther King think of, of my peaceful protest? Mm-hmm. He would approve. 
right? But that's always the, the, sure. the, the that's always the the reference they make to try to to try to shame you. So you have uh, first of all, Kaepernick. It's not like Kaepernick went out to the field for the national anthem and then and sat in the middle. And, yes, and then did cartwheels off the field and said, "Hey, everyone, look at me. I'm not observing the national anthem." Yeah. He just didn't go out to the field. Which is why it took a few weeks for people to catch on that that's what he was doing. But it was a very personal, very private protest. Not unlike Mahmoud Abdul Rauf when he used to play in the NBA, he stopped going out for the national anthem. Just like uh, Carlos Delgado, Delgado for, yeah. former Blue Jay, when he said, "Hey, listen, this bombing of Vieques in Puerto Rico has to stop, and I'm not coming out for the anthem or for God Bless America till till it stops." Um, but even Delgado's por- protest was a little more public at the beginning. Kaepernick was just doing this privately, minding his own business. Right? So he, he stayed his, in the dressing room. Right, where he'd sit on the sidelines. Yeah. And just had his private reasons for doing this. Yeah. And it wasn't until people caught on and then started asking him. They said, well, why did you? Why aren't you coming out for the anthem? Uh, it was Steve White from the NFL Network that asked him, why aren't you coming out for the, for the anthem? And then, then Colin Kaepernick says, or Kaepernick says, well, now that you've asked me, here's why. Yeah. I'm not going to support this. The flag of a country, you know, that systematically oppresses black and brown people. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the phrases he used, one of the phrases he used in reference to police brutality uh, was that, uh, you know, we got people dying in the street uh, and cops are getting paid leave and getting away with murder. Mm-hmm. Right. So these are all completely, to me, legitimate reasons to protest. And again, you talk about a an absolutely low key harmless not yeah harmless because the only the only thing getting hurt here yeah you know are people's feelings right and not even like and yeah and that even that's debatable like are you really hurting someone's feelings you know well, yeah and that's the thing if, if, Lamakia, it does he really feel hurt or if your feelings he... are hurt then it's probably your fault and not kaepernick's yeah. fault yeah so people keep saying and drew Brees keeps saying well he should have found a different way to protest well what different way is there yeah other than, like this was he didn't stop the game no. Right? He didn't cost anybody any money. Mm-hmm. He sat out the national anthem. People asked why. He told them. That should be it. Yeah. Except that uh, crybabies get their feelings hurt. And so now here we are. And you have all these people. But the, the genius, the genius of that gesture, and as this is what I was writing about in the Star today, mm-hmm. is that it really... Um, it really uh, reveals, yeah. you know, people's attitude toward race, people's attitude towards figures they say they, they claim to revere, mm-hmm. um, and people's attitudes uh, toward black male athletes in particular, right? So, uh, you know, one of the one of and when you think about the context of this, you think about Muhammad Ali is absolutely revered. Why was he revered? Uh, to hear contempt- to hear historians tell it and white sports writers tell it, he was revered because he was brave enough to take a stand that was unpopular. Yeah. Right? He was brave enough to stand up to the U.S. government, to stand up against oppression. This is why people claim mm-hmm. to revere Muhammad Ali, yet when Colin Kaepernick... Um, and admittedly, the stakes aren't as high for Kaepernick as it were for Ali. But this is he's just following the trail that Ali blazed. Yeah. And he catches hell for it. Right. He's exercising his First Amendment. Right. Um, what what 
what you hear that you know the other hot take you hear is that well people fought and died for your right yeah uh to speak out so how dare you disrespect them by speaking out which makes no sense at all yeah people fought and died for this right so why shouldn't i exercise it mm-hmm. um and so you have all these people and you think about like how revered Jackie Robinson is April 15th every year, Major League Baseball, every Jackie player Robinson. wears number 42. Yeah. And other than that day, no one's allowed to wear 42. Mm-hmm. Right? This is the reverence we hold for Jackie Robinson, who, Robinson, who in the foreword to his autobiography, I Never Had It Made, says he details how really stubborn, embedded systemic racism in the United States uh, spoiled the national anthem for him. And he reached the point where he stopped standing for the national anthem, stopped singing the national anthem. So how can you revere Jackie Robinson, revere Muhammad Ali, yeah. uh, but demonize Colin Kaepernick when he is doing nothing other than following in their footsteps? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the first level. Yeah. Right? So this, this, this starts to reveal the hypocrisy. So what it tells you is that uh, folks who claim to revere Muhammad Ali and Jackie Robinson aren't really interested in understanding who those guys actually were as human beings, as black men in America, mm-hmm. right? And this is kind of another level of what has people, white people especially, and NFL fans pissed off about this, is that Colin Kaepernick has the nerve to be a human being with feelings and concerns that extend beyond the football field. What they want from football players, especially black ones, mm-hmm. is for them to be some, somewhere between a beast of burden and a robot. Right, and not to have a personality, not to have concerns above and beyond running up and down this field and bashing yeah. heads. Yeah. Right. So when a player retires young, why are you retiring young? You know what? Because I'm concerned about my health. I'm healthy right now, and I don't want to leave this game broken. And mm. we've had a bunch of players retire in their mid twenties. And what do football fans say? Oh, you're a wimp. Guys who never put on pads. Oh, you're a wimp. <laughs> what are you, a wimp? You're a girl. You know, because they have a problem with football players revealing. Yeah. They're human beings. So here's Colin Kaepernick revealing a layer of his humanity, and people take it personally, like it's an insult to them. Yeah. How dare you uh, protest when you're a rich football player and you make $100 million? Well, if Colin Kaepernick was poor and protested, they'd say, shut up. What do you know? You're poor. You're not educated. Why should we respect you? Hmm. <laughs> so he's a rich guy with a platform and some privilege and says, hey, let me put my privilege aside and speak out for people yeah. Who, whose voices aren't heard then you're it's an both, athlete sit down and just play y- yes and how dare you you make a hundred million dollars yeah. you're not oppressed and Colin Kaepernick's point was whether or not I feel personally oppressed this is what I see yeah so I'm gonna stand up for people who don't have the same platform um, and then the third layer of that is you saw uh, Jim Harbaugh who used to coach Kaepernick is he, yeah the coach yeah in San Francisco is now the coach at University of Michigan um, who said that uh and people, everyone tries to hedge. And Martin Luther King, the people that, that a lot of white liberals and white conservatives often invoke to shame uh, contemporary civil rights activists, Martin Luther King spoke specifically about the white moderate who tries to play both sides and says this person might in fact be the biggest enemy because he's more frustrating to deal with. Because he's not taking his side. Yeah, and you don't. he's supposed to be on your side, but he's the guy that always says, uh, I empathize with your right to be treated equally, yeah. Uh, but don't protest it this way. Don't protest it that way. I don't don't just, protest yeah. it now. Protest it later. Okay, yeah. well, then are you really on my side? Yeah. Um, so here you have Jim Harbaugh who says, well, yeah, I, I, and I'm paraphrasing here, you know, I, I respect his right to say that, but I don't respect his motivation. Yeah. Now, did, he, did he walk that back then afterwards? Well, well, so listen, 
And as he's saying this, like yeah. I'm on the phone interviewing for this story with with Professor Lewis Moore, uh, was professor of African American history, sports history, uh, at Grand Valley State University, and uh, right outside Grand Rapids, Michigan. And he's reading this, and he's like, "Well," and, th- and that's exactly what he said. He's like, "Harbaugh's going to have to do something about this because." Uh, He's got black players. He has a team that's eighty <laughs> percent black, yeah. and these young black men who don't make any money mm-hmm. allow Jim Harbaugh to make forty million dollars or whatever the, the worth of his contract is. Yeah. So now he can't turn around. So now you've you've had a black player saying, "I'm protesting racism. I want racism to end. I want systemic racism to end. I want police brutality to end." Mm-hmm. Yeah. This white head coach saying, "I don't respect." I don't respect that motive, right? So now how does he look at his team and say, I don't respect the guy that's fighting for racism, but please go out here and play for me. You're not getting paid. And then also, how do you go, how do you recruit, right? How do you, you're trying to get some high school senior, you're in in the guy's living room with his parents, and the parents are going to say, well, police brutality is a concern of mine, but apparently you say that's not worth respecting, Mm and the police brutality isn't worth respecting. So someone gets in Harbaugh's ear and says, hey, man, or maybe he just looks at his room. He's like, "Ooh, yes." <laughs> so now all of a sudden he uh, backpedals, yeah, and says, "Hey, well, I apologize for misspeaking my own sentiments. Well, it's your sentiments. Who, who, yeah. How'd you misspeak what you thought? It's your thought." Yeah. Uh, and then he says, "Well, I respect the goals, but just not the methods," which again turns him into uh, the white moderate that Martin Luther King singled out as one of the biggest obstacles between black people. In full citizenship. Yeah, there was there was two others. So I mean, Don Cherry will say what Don Cherry says, and, and <laughs> Don Cherry said something. What did Don Cherry say? So he he tweeted out something that he doesn't agree, and it was different that Muhammad Ali did it because he was in his prime, um, and and he gave up something. I would say, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yeah, you, you can. Don Cherry don't know shit. <laughs> is the thing, and this is and this is part of what frustrates me as an African American in Canada. Yeah, is that. And this was part of the reason why, one of the reasons why I made sure I wrote that story. Yeah. If I can speak really honestly. Yeah, please. Yeah. Because you talk about main sports writers in mainstream media in this city. Mm-hmm. You know how many there are? You know how many black ones there are? No. Sports writers? Writers. You? Main, one. Me. Right? And I understand there's a lot of left-leaning guys or guys who fancy themselves left-leaning guys in, 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 in mainstream media here in Toronto uh, who feel comfortable uh and feel that their left their their liberalness is a is a proxy for blackness almost and feel comfortable Mm. talking to and about black people not even to about and over around black people right here i am the only black person not just a black person but an actual african-american so these issues are not just abstract to me this is lived experience Mm -hmm. um so I'll be damned if I let some 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 white reporter and I love these guys, but I'll be goddamn if I let these white reporters who don't know African Americans uh, on a personal level, outside of work, don't have the lived experience or um, academic background. Mm. Like I've studied African American studies, so I'll be damned if I let them have the last word on something like this. Um, so they bring back. So it's really frustrating to me. And. You know, we're here in this country with these white Canadians who view African-Americans for the most part as just abstractions. How many of these people actually know African-Americans? How many of them even know African-Canadians? Right? Um, There's a columnist from the National Post. What was her name? Barbara Kay, maybe? And she's going back and forth with Adrian Harewood from CBC. 
Adrian is he's a brilliant guy, really well read. Um, and Barbara Kay has all these blazing hot takes about what black people should do. Black people need to do this. I think the biggest problem is black on black crime. So Adrian, this is on Twitter. Oh. And Adrian's a patient guy because I don't have the patience anymore to like educate oblivious white people on stuff. Sure. Like I write stories like this just to tell the truth. Yeah. And that's that. And I, I, I play it. Uh, I, I try to play it as straight as I can to avoid insulting people's intelligence. But Adrian's the guy that's like, if you're obtuse and oblivious and white yeah, and still come at him with these ham-fisted takes about uh, race and racism, he'll engage you and try yeah. to educate you. I'm not that guy. Yeah. Right? So Barbara Kay is going off, well, this is what black people need to do, black on black crime, blah, blah, blah. And Adrian says, well, Barbara, tell me this. When you have conversations with black people mm-hmm. in Canada, in the U.S., what do these black Americans and Canadians tell you in your conversations about their biggest concerns? Yeah. And she never answered that question. Yeah. Right? Because she, these people don't engage, hardly engage black folks here in Canada. I can guarantee you don't engage African Americans in a meaningful way on mm-hmm. an everyday basis. But they're going to tell a black American man how he can and can't protest Racism and this white fascination. I tweeted it and I wrote about it in the story. The white fascination, white Americans, white Canadians, their fascination with policing how people react to racism uh, is mind-boggling to me. Why are you so concerned with policing how people react to racism? Why are you more concerned with that than eradicating racism? Because the, the, the racism is racism is too is the only uh, affliction. Where the person on the receiving end mm-hmm. is also asked to cure it, right? That's so, interesting. Well, think about like think about um, you, know, you watch these documentaries about fracking. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So the, the the gas company comes to town, they start fracking, and then uh, I turn on my faucet, and there's like natural gas coming out of my faucet, and I can't mm-hmm. drink the water. Mm-hmm. So now my community's health is in danger because we can't drink the water. So this would be like the the gas company has caused this with their fracking. So now does the gas company? Well, they probably might, but this is the thing. Like, would the gas company then say to you, well, you figure you, it out. Yeah, you figure it out. Or you tell me how to fix it. I'm like, what do you mean I should tell you how to fix it? You're the one that came and set up the well. You should know how to fix it. Yeah. Right? So white folks are always telling, when black folks point out racism, uh, or any people of color point out, you know, the racism uh, the white supremacy that we have to deal with in North America or any place else, white people say, well, it's great that you're complaining. Uh, what are you going to do to solve racism? Well, what are you going to do to solve racism? It's always interesting. You know, me, myself, you know, be, being a Muslim, it's always, the questions always come to me. What are you doing about right. you know, terrorism? This, what do you mean? Why, why me? I'm, I'm a dude that works nine to five. Right. I'm a father. Yeah, I happen to be Muslim, but you know, I don't got a direct line. Right to the Taliban to tell them what to do. You don't have the direct line to the Taliban, and you also don't have the direct line to like Donald Trump or and, and all these other Islamophobes. It's not your responsibility to make people stop being Islamophobic. Yeah, it's the it's the people who live around that Islamophobe, uh, enable him. Yeah, uh, laugh it off. Yeah, let him do what he does. Encourage it. It's their responsibility. Absolutely. Don't ask me how white people can stop being racist. I don't know. <laughs> How about you You stop letting your friends be racist? You let them know it's not okay. Yeah. And then that's the start. But don't ask me. 
as as Mark Lamont Hill says, uh, that's white folks' work. Yeah. Um, b- before we leave this, and I know I don't have so much time with you, um, I did find it interesting that Jerry Rice <laughs> didn't, you know, say, and and then he has the nerve. I, I don't know if it was in. A, I think it was in a tweet. You know, first he says all lives all matter, matter. <laughs> and, and he, he, like we're Jerry Rice. Here's the thing about Jerry Rice because. Here's the thing about Jerry Rice, and here's the thing about this whole controversy. The, the other, the other thing it quickly devolved into is find some cranky old ex-athlete and ask him. Yeah, why are we asking thinks. ex-athletes and coaches? And-, and so, so Jerry Rice, uh, Jerry Rice likes the attention, right? If Jerry Rice's body would allow it, Jerry Rice would still be playing. Like I, sure. like I would never have retired. Yeah, because he likes the attention, right? He played till he was forty-one almost. Um, and it's okay to sit this one out. Here's the other thing is that the intersection of race and sports has become like really sexy now. Hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So 10 years ago, a lot of writers, a lot of athletes didn't really want to touch it. Now everyone wants in. Everyone wants in. This is why Don Cherry feels comfortable weighing in. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is why, you know... All these guys at the, the score, TSN, whatever, all these lily white places, all of a sudden, hmm. uh, really want to talk about these issues because it's sexy. Yeah. Right? Um, and the other thing is, I'll never stop being amazed at the, 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 the bad actors, the characters that we in the sports media employ uh, to try to attack the character of whichever black person we've targeted today. Hmm. So, a year and a half ago, two years ago, like leading up to Mayweather versus Pacquiao, Mayweather was the, the villain, Mayweather beats women. Okay, cool, everyone knows Mayweather beats women. So now we go ask Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson says Mayweather's a coward. And then you write the story. See that? Mike Tyson says Mayweather's a coward. And everyone tweets it and retweets it. Yeah, you tell him, Mike Tyson. Why are we going to ask the convicted rapist about the wife beater's the wife character, beater. right? Yeah. So in this situation, we have the same thing. So now we have Ben Roethlisberger saying, well, I don't agree with, with yeah, what he right. did. Yeah, but Ben Roethlisberger, you pay off-duty cops to follow you around in the off-season and swipe your misdeeds under the rug. Like, do we not remember? We all remember what happened that time you went to the uh, the, the, the spring break, break the mm. pub in Georgia at spring break and allegedly assaulted the woman and had your cop friends um, covered up. Uh so this is who you're enlisting against Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. Tiki Barber saying, well, he needs to honor the flag. Like Tiki Barber's a guy who, and his wife was pregnant with twins, starts cheating on her with like some college student uh, and brings the mistress to the birth of the twins. And now I'm supposed to respect Tiki his Barber. Opinions. Yeah. Right. Hmm. On moral issues. Like, why should I? But anyone basically who wants to say something bad about Colin Kaepernick gets a microphone. Line up. Yeah. Right, which doesn't make any type of sense. And again, no, we always tell people consider their source, but so then why are we why are we giving a platform to Tiki Barber on this issue? Mm-hmm. Right, Tiki Barber. Let's not forget um, when they put him on the Today Show. Remember the summer of two thousand eight, and they were arguing about the Olympics and whether you valued. Uh, gold medals more or the total medal count more and he got into this mm. argument with a woman reporter i can't remember her name but he called her a total medal cunt 
Remember this? That I don't remember. Well, if you don't remember it, I'll go, go Google it. I'll Google it. YouTube Right? It. But this is the guy we're giving a platform to to criticize yeah. Colin Kaepernick? Crazy. I guess. My opinion is is that we should not have national anthems That's at sporting the next events. Thing. Oh, is that your next article? Maybe not my next. Maybe it is my next article, but that's the next. That's where this all needs to go. Yeah, I don't get it. Like, what's the point? There's two teams playing against each other. Why are we? You know, where where's the nationalism? If it's not the sporting the, event, if it's not the Olympics or the World Cup, yeah, right. If you're not representing your country in this, yeah, contest, they do it everywhere. I went to a WWE house show. Why do and, we need an? And there's there? an like I don't get it. I really don't get it. You know. Anyways, I, I I know I only have you for half an hour, but I, I I don't I don't want to put you on the spot. But I would love to have you back and and just talk um, these societal issues because um, I really enjoy talking to you about them, um, and I really appreciate your your opinions and your and your forthrightness forthrightness on that. If that's a word, I don't know if that's a word or not. It is now. It is now. Um, but that's I reach- when that's when someone is righteous and honest. Forthrighteous. And there you go. Boom. Um, put that in the dictionary. But I reached out to you um, because I was looking to talk to somebody uh, about how the media covered or how we as consumers um, experienced the Olympics yes. through the media uh, in, in Rio. And, um, you know, I was going through my notes and I, and I picked out, you know, 11 different things that, you know, I thought were, were interesting, okay. noteworthy. Uh, we're worth having conversations with. That's a lot, eleven. Yeah, yeah. and and I mean, in, in no particular order, we'll we'll go through this. Um, but the the one that I found interesting, or or more interesting than than not, um, and 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 I sort of am, am proud of myself because I I caught it live and I go, did they just say that? <laughs> and and this is and this, there, are, there are plenty of those moments. During yeah, the Olympics. but this was when, um, oh. Man, I can't I can't find it in my notes, but there was that woman, there was that female swimmer, that quote unquote finally won um, a gold medal. Okay. And oh, for the life of me, I can't write. And and the the commentary was that she finally won it. It uh, and her coach happens to be her husband, something along those lines. Oh yes, and they said that, and they cut to the husband. They said they there's the, the person there's responsible. The, yeah. Yes. And, and as I saw that, I go. What they sure coaches and everyone gets you know credit, but dude, she just swam, right? Broke a record, yes. Won the finally won a gold medal in the Olympics after yes. being a world championship swimmer before that. Um, and and so this sort of started when I saw that swim race, yes. That sort of started me observing all of these. I, I don't know if they're faux pas, but you see, I, and, and the thing about because once you notice, yeah, once you see. Once you hear it, you can't unsee it, you can't unhear it, and then you notice how prevalent it is. Yeah. You notice how prevalent it is. So here you have, yeah, just this reflexive sexism where this woman achieves something, mm-hmm. and the first thing the commentators do is try to uh, find a man yeah. uh, to give credit to for her accomplishment. Yeah. Right? And the athletes make coaches as much as coaches make athletes. Yeah. Um, and this is something you learn, especially in track and field and boxing, like uh, – Individual sports, like Manny Pacquiao's trainer, Freddie Roach, is in the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he trained Manny Pacquiao. Like, you name me another fighter that Freddie Roach has built from nothing into something. Like, it's Manny Pacquiao and, and, and Mickey Rourke, right? All his, 
all these other fighters and you watch like when Freddie Roach is coaching a fight like in real time yeah how often does he like give his fighters good advice that actually pays off you know in, in a in a in a meaningful tactical adjustment that wins the fight yeah almost never but he's Manny Pacquiao's coach so he's in the Hall of he Fame he's in the Hall of Fame so in this mm-hmm. case yeah the swimmer makes okay the husband gets all this credit yeah but if he was coaching another swimmer, he might not be able to have he might not have a gold medal, right? Yeah. The athlete often makes the coach as much as the coach makes the athlete. But again, once you once you start noticing the racism, sexism, nationalism, classism that's just embedded. Yeah. In Olympic commentary especially, it's tough and and then especially in track and field and then often in swimming, uh it's tough to unsee it and it's tough to unhear it. And you get to the point where you say, I need a new set of commentators because these guys are too locked into this reflexive sexism, racism, classism, whatever it oh, is. That's never going to happen. Well, exactly. You know, unfortunately. It, it was, and it, I heard it wasn't in the Olympics, but it was very recent. Um, Jerry Howarth talking to Hazel May introduces her uh-huh. <laughs> as Kevin Barker's wife and finishes the interview as Kevin Barker's wife. Oh, wow. And I'm like, Dude, she's got her own clothing line. Yeah, and Hazel's she's, not a rookie. She's been around forever. She's, she's built herself up, right? Yeah. You know? And, and, and the, the name Hazel May is a lot more meaningful than Kevin Barker's wife. I don't know who Kevin Barker is. Yeah. Who's Kevin Barker? <laughs> well, it's like when the Chicago Tribune had that headline because uh, I forget the uh, – she, she won the gold medal or a bronze medal in shooting. And uh, it said, wife of Chicago Bears lineman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's metal yeah. and shooting. Like, man, she just did something. No, and then related to that was that Canadian swimmer, uh, Penny, I, I can't pronounce Alexiak her. Alexiak from over here Alexiak. on the beaches. Yeah. Um, and they referred to her as the brother. Oh, the, like the, of the s- ho- sister of an NHL yeah. hockey player. Sister of the yeah. NHL hockey player. And I go, yeah, no, he's the brother of the gold medalist now. Just <laughs> let that's it live. the way it should be. Right. Right. You know? But again, so many of these things are re- reflexive. The difference now is that, um, especially with social media, mm. um, people can point things, these things out more quickly and raise a ruckus about these things more quickly. Yeah. Um, and sometimes I wonder if newspapers, newspapers, websites don't I wonder if they're making crappy headlines on purpose just to make people mad enough to keep tweeting and retweeting these things. Yeah. Because I know with the Chicago Tribune story, I had to click through to get the medalist name, right? Sure. So I fell into their trap. Yeah. They tweeted this sexist headline. I'm like, well, let's see what her name is anyway, since you guys can't mention it. Yeah. And I had to click through the story, right? Well they played. They got you. They got me. <laughs> they, got, they got a lot of us. But there was so many of those. There was the, the U.S. swimmer, Katie, I don't know if her Ledecky. Ledecky. Yeah. Who wins a gold medal, world record time. Uh, but she is in, you know, there's a headline and there's a subheadline. What is that called? The subheadline. That's, that's what it's called. The subheadline. Subheadline. Yes. You know, she's in the subheadline, but the headline is Michael Phelps, Phelps wins silver. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then it also happened with uh, the other time Phelps won silver when Simone Manuel, when she tied Penny Alexiak, and they both won the gold medal. Yeah. So you have the 16 year old Canadian winning the gold medal. Yeah. You have the first ever African American uh, swimmer to win. Women swimmer to win a gold medal, Simone, right? Yeah, yeah in, a, in yeah. an individual event. Yeah, and somehow Phelps gets the headline. Yeah, and it's by the way, 
or no, it was Phelps shares stage with African American or something like this. But yeah. it's like, well, no, no was, dude, she, she won. She and won. also Phelps has eight trillion medals. So like the marginal yeah. the marginal headline value of each medal goes down when you got twenty eight <laughs> gold medals, right? Celebrate the person that's never done this before. Yeah. Right? Because this is a much bigger deal. Like I, people won't even be able to distinguish no, one Phelps they... medal from the next from, from the next one, but they'll remember the first, you know, the history maker, the pioneer. And it wasn't even her name. It was African American. Yes, she doesn't have a name. Just African American. Could be anyone. Could have been me. Maybe they were trying to be polite I and say guess. we recognize that an African American. How many African Americans there are? Plenty. Thirty-four million, probably. Maybe no, sorry, thirty-nine million. So and it couldn't have been all of them. Yeah. And it couldn't have been any of them. It could only have been the person with the with the skills to win a gold medal. Um, just say her name. Is is Ellen DeGeneres racist? Um, so did you see what she what yeah. the photo she right? Yeah. So she photoshopped a picture of her riding on Usain Bolt's back. I don't know if, or is she just a comedian? I don't know if she's racist. I don't even know if that act was racist, but it was racially insensitive. So maybe it's not coming from a malicious place inside of her heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, you have to realize it's not funny to treat black people as beasts of burden like that joke is not funny. so insensitive yeah it's insensitive um so now is 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 ellen DeGeneres doing that the same as donald trump or david duke doing that probably not because again maybe because we know where they're what coming. she feels in her heart is different mm. but at the same time uh if you're as liberal as you say you are you should also because think about being liberal doesn't mean you don't have biases or privilege. It's that you're aware of them and are able to check them and set them aside. Right? Mm. So if she really... So you don't... It's not... You, you don't get a lifetime pass to to, to, hmm. to do and say insulting things and do and say insensitive things. Well, no, it, it's it's cool, man, because I voted Bernie. No, no, it's all right. I don't know. It's, it's not how it works. Yeah. Right? Like, you should be able to check your own privilege uh, check your own biases and then say to yourself, oh, wait, that was insensitive. If I look at the history of uh, literature and, 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 and racist art depicting black people as beasts of burden, I can see how this, whether or not it was my intent, how it is when I publicize it, what it taps into. Mm. And I don't want to be party to that. Uh, I don't know if she apologized or if she I bought that I don't up. think she did. Yeah. Right? And, again, so, and this happened, I remember when I was in university, uh, it was in a sociology class too called social inequality and we only had one black uh, TA teaching teaching assistant his name was Vensive Lamb and then the professor's at the front of the room one day and Vensive walks in late we're all in the lecture hall he walks in late and then she's lecturing and she stops lecturing she says hey Vensive I uh, hope you're able to park my car for me and you know, everyone's staring at Vensive right and he he just he turned red. He was fuming, right? So now here's a, a sociology professor teaching us about social inequality, right? So this is a, this is a person Case who, in point. who's very in tune, plugged into these issues, uh, but said something that was really insensitive. And now, in her heart, is she the same as... Because one of the controversies when I went to school, there was a, like an engineering professor who was a Holocaust denier. Is she the same as him? No, she's not. But given her position, especially with some time to reflect she should be able to recognize how insensitive that was and how embarrassing that was uh, for that poor TA who was only trying to do her a favor by parking her car so she could start class on time. Jeez. So there is a difference between racism and, and 
racial insensitivity. Um, but at the same, again, if you're as liberal as you say you are, you should also be aware of the moments when you've been insensitive. And that gets you a lot more points than saying, well, I couldn't have been insensitive because I'm liberal. Crazy. It doesn't make sense. No. I'm so liberal that I'm aware of, oh, you know what? My fault. Yeah, yeah that, was, that was a dumb thing to say. Yeah. It's easy to do. Very easy to do. Yeah. But are you going to be conscious enough to to call yourself out? Well, exactly. Yeah, and apologize. Exactly. Nobody wants to walk anything back except college football coaches oh, who, sure. are, <laughs> who have millions of dollars on the <laughs> line. Millions of dollars at stake. Exactly. That's crazy. Um, so th- there was a study um, that was done, and I think I, I, I read this maybe in the BBC uh, website, um, that talked about how the Olympics seemed to be more balanced. So I'll, I'll just read it verbatim. So a team of researchers found that 58% of the television coverage in the first week of the Olympics included women athletes. Um, however, the way in which men and women are discussed is not always the same. This I found interesting. Right. So the research came from Cambridge, Cambridge University. So they studied 160 more than 160 million words Ooh. from news articles, social media websites. They researched the words used to describe men yep. and women in Olympic sports. So the researchers found that men most often were described as great, strong, fastest. Yep. Women were described in words not related to sports. Older, <laughs> pregnant, married were used to describe <laughs> women athletes. Right. Which I found very interesting. It sort of relates to, I don't know if it was on the um, the NBC coverage or the CBC coverage, but they talked about um, this female a volley, beach volleyball player, not Misty May, but I think her former mm-hmm. partner. And they talked about her, the story was about her marriage and her relationship rather right. than the dominance, you know, in sports that she's displayed over the past two, three, you know, yeah. Olympics. Um, you know, at, at a time when the Olympics is, you know, to most people, to many people who consume it, um, you know, here's the world getting together. I find it very interesting that we still, we as commentators are still describing men in a certain way, different than women when they're all, you know, when they're basically doing the same thing, they're swimming, they're running, they're jumping. There are a couple of things going on there. One, uh, well, 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 let's look at, let's look at the variables, right? Pregnancy is only going to happen to the women, not to the men. So we can, we can cancel that one out. But okay. when we talk about references to age and marital status, yeah, um, especially marital status, because if I'm like like Kim Collins was a sprinter, made it to the hundred meter semifinals. He was forty years old. Every time they talked about Kim Collins, they talked about his age because he's old. Um, but like marital status, you don't ever hear them drone on and on and on about. A male athlete's marriage. Yeah. Unless he's married to, like, a woman in, the, like, the same competition, something like that. Um, you know, and CBC ran head on, head on into that when uh, Nikita Holder, the hurdler, when she fell in her semifinal, mm-hmm. and she goes over to the mix zone, and Scott Oakes says, well, he starts asking her about her failed marriage. She'd been divorced the year before. What was, where did that come from? I, I think he was going for the, uh, hey, why don't you reflect on how far you've come this year moment, but... In the in in the heat of competition, no one's really thinking about all that. And then she yeah, she wound up crying. Clearly, he had triggered her. Which initially, I'm sure for the producers, like yes, we scored, we got tears. Um, 
but yeah, it was a blatantly, uh, if not completely sexist, definitely insensitive on the basis of, of gender because you don't not ask professionally. You don't oh. ask guys. You don't ask, you don't ever ask a dude about his marital status. No. Um, and also the fact that she was a woman and that she had just lost because if she had uh, if she had won the race. Right, you wouldn't run up to her and say, "Hey, great gold medal!" Uh, now about the broken marriage, you wouldn't do You're that. You're right. You're right. right. Yeah. So this is he, she was in a very vulnerable moment for whatever reason. He decided to take advantage. I understand they they had a face to face and and work things out. Fair. Yeah, that's right. That's but right. um, but again, it's just another example of of yeah, the different, absolutely different ways we view women athletes. And part of the problem too is and this is a problem with I find with sports coverage and strategies around sports coverage. Um, it was one of the things we used to always hear at the Star when we were strategizing covering sports. One of the things I said was not a, not enough women read the sports section. How how can we attract women readers? Well, if we're going to attract women readers, uh, we can't make the sports section so much about sports. And the same idea, the same attitude infects Olympic coverage, especially in the U.S., where, the, where NBC... Uh, doesn't want to show a lot of events live. What they want is pre-packaged features, and they can kind of plug in the tape-delayed event. And if they know the result in advance, even better. And they can tailor the feature to kind of feature the winner. Um, and their rationale for this is that women aren't into sports, and women would rather have, would rather watch the soft-edged human interest stories. Um, they say this, but their the audience for their broadcast is steadily declining. Yeah. Um, so the problem is like sports, sports section, sports broadcasts uh, are the only are the only sectors that think they're going to grow their audience by de-emphasizing what it is that brings people there in the first place. Like, I wouldn't like. So here's here we are in sports saying we need more women readers. So let's stop talking about sports and talk about something else. But you don't hear, you know, the the, the new at home session saying. The problem with the new and home sections is that there's too many new homes, <laughs> right? So if you if it's a sports section, you want women readers, perfect. But they still have to be women that like sports because if the women don't like sports, they're not coming to that section no matter what you do. No matter what story's right? in there. And so by and so by packaging things these way in these ways, it's insulting to the women that actually do like to watch sports. And in the Olympics too, uh, people get hooked on the competition when it's live male or female yeah you're gonna get a big audience um and from what i what i hear from women sports fans is the same thing i hear from men sports fans i'd rather see more of it live and less of this prepackaged stuff and it is insulting on top of that to blame women uh if you're nbc to blame women for your uh faulty strategy um Mm -hmm. around broadcasting these games but there there's this idea that women need to be presented sports differently when i think they just need to women sports fans would just appreciate women sports fans and women who are open to becoming sports fans who aren't necessarily sports fans would probably just like these things presented to them in a way that's not sexist so talking about male athletes one way and female athletes another way is sexist assuming that all these people um knowing that the value of of tv is in live tv this is why they like sports because it's live and then assuming that the presence of women somehow upsets this formula and the women don't want to see the result now they're happy seeing it two hours later after you run all these crazy human interest features that's all insulting yeah and that's all it's going to turn off all the fans that you say you're trying to uh, attract 
Yeah, totally agree. Uh, your your thoughts on on how CBC covered your be, us being in Canada. Your thoughts on how the CBC covered the Olympics. Well, I appreciated CBC for the fact that you know they bring us a lot more live. You can watch it anywhere. Competition than NBC does, right? Yeah. Uh, I wound up watching a lot of the Olympics online. Yeah. Um, you know, and broadcasters are really going to have to figure out how to monetize streaming because the. the more and more people are streaming, but the ad rates you get for streaming aren't as high as the ad rates you get for TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they broadcasters are gonna have to figure that out. And now, you know, someone like me, like I would pay a modest fee uh, for, you know, to, to to stream the sports that I really want to see, um, and but also be able to archive, like access them, archives. I see. Know, yeah. yeah. Uh, so I. I really liked CBC's ability to stream over their app. Mm-hmm. Uh, the biggest problem I had with CBC, um, and it got to the point where I had to change the channel, because when you watch NBC live events, you're always scared they're going to cut to commercial in the middle of an event. Yeah. Or, again, hit you with one of these human interest stories when you're just trying to watch some people run. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and like with track and field coverage, I like Otto Bolden. But I couldn't trust NBC. But then CBC basically was one of the last nights. Uh, I think it was the last the last evening of track and field mm-hmm. uh, when the women's eight hundred final was running. I had to turn it off. Um, Why is that? Because you talk about racism and sexism in in the sports mm. media. That's where it all came together. Because that was the race where Castro Semenya was running, Francine Neon Saba. Uh, Margaret Wambouli, those are your three medalists. Um, so the whole evening leading up to this race, uh, you know, the announcers um, keep priming the audience, talking to us about Castro Semenya's testosterone. Talking. And the other two women who finished second, third, apparently. This is what we're told. But here's yeah. the thing. Those three women, are they are fully female. I've talked to doctors. They are fully female. The fact that they have high testosterone is not different from them having long legs. Hmm. Right? They are fully women. Period. Um, but there was this constant implication one, that these three Semenya in particular were, were doing something shady. That they were like two races. I, re- I always heard that there's, there's two, two races, races happening here. Which is absolutely unfair. Yeah. Because they are fully female. Yeah. They're in the category that they are in. They're not. They're not like a group of dudes who said, "Hey, I'm just going to put on a woman singlet and go run." Yeah, they are fully female, and the idea that there are two races. Well, if you think there are two races, and and then again, it becomes uh, not so subtly racial because the play-by-play guy and the uh, who was the Canadian one. There was an English guy doing color commentary. Mm-hmm. Kept calling Neon Saba, Semenya, Wambui, the Africans. The Africans. Mm. Oh yeah, well the Africans are gonna. And so in the in the home stretch, Melissa Bishop, she's trying to hold off uh, Margaret Wambui. Margaret Wambui runs past her in the last fifty meters, and you hear this announcer say, "Oh, and she's nudged out by the big African." And I'm thinking to myself, Daphne Skipper's in the 100 and 200. She's from the Netherlands. Very tall, very broad-shouldered, long levers, big muscles. No one calls her the big European, and no one suggests that she has an unfair advantage. Yeah. Because of her physique, right? Um, we just lost easily. So one, the gender testing, uh, the idea of gender testing, the idea that these three athletes are 
breaking some type of, of, of rule around gender is disingenuous. Hmm. It's unfair to them. Um, and again, it's there's a very thin smokescreen here uh, where there's this argument is supposed to be about testosterone is also about melanin, which is why they're, you con- they're constantly calling them the Africans, the Africans, the Africans. Mm. There's two races, one for the Africans, one for everyone else. Well, you know what? It's a global competition. If you can't beat the Africans, well, then, then you can't. It's a global competition. Yeah. I was going to say try the Commonwealth Games, but the Africans are in that games too. Try yeah. the Pan Am Games. You'll win those. Yeah. Um, and then there's this... Uh, the... Um, fifth place finisher winds up sorry the sixth place finisher winds up saying well i'm happy to be the uh the the first european to cross the line and the and the second white runner to cross the line so when people make it plain like that and this is what cbc had been hinting at all night yeah to the point where i was just disgusted and again if castor semenya has high testosterone then she has high testosterone that's not her problem that's how she was born yeah um and the idea that you should place a limit on the testosterone levels of female athletes only is absolutely sexist when you talk about one game one games for the men one games for the women Mm. no one's asking usain bolt what his testosterone what his natural testosterone levels are yeah what your body produces your body produces and everyone's there on the basis of what their body produces now if they go out and start doping that's something different that's different yeah um you know and the idea that you can make these things more competitive by kicking these guys out of the uh the, the the competition well, then you don't have a true competition because there's a thing that's that, like kicking Usain Bolt out because he's just too good. Yes, and here's what people forget about the Olympic Games, right? Is that when you get to an Olympic finals, the Olympic finalists in any event, especially like in a track and field event, they're not typical people. They are atypically talented. Yeah, atypically hardworking. Both of these things together. Right, mm-hmm. so it's not supposed to be a because everyone's saying, well, you can't have Semenya running because it makes it harder for regular women. Well, regular women aren't in the Olympic final anyway. Neither are regular men. Yeah, these are all outliers. Yeah, and that's what it is, um, and that's what this competition is. Um, and so to single out these women's testosterone the way the CBC reporters kept doing, kept doing, kept doing. It's completely also it's completely arbitrary. And no one singled out Michael Phelps for his arm length or yeah. for his foot length. Yeah. Right? These are just any of a number of characteristics you're born with that can help you perform better, but only in concert with all these other things. Because mm-hmm. uh, if testosterone alone uh, made you a great runner, um, Duti Chan from India, she was the one that sued in the court of arbitration in sport to be allowed to run despite her high natural testosterone level. Uh, she's a, a significant margin behind... Uh, other world-class runners, even though she has more natural testosterone. So it's yeah. not the testosterone alone. It's all kinds of factors. And again, when you get into limiting one versus limiting another, no one's asking the men to limit their natural tools. Hmm. Um, and it just really hurt me to see our national broadcaster, listen, my tax dollars pay for these guys, feed into yeah. uh, a racist and sexist subplot that really doesn't need to exist. You make, you, you, you make it sound so simple. Um, you know the way you explain it, um, and to me, it, you know, it, it's it seems simply. Like why are we even having these discussions? And yes, but why, why why is it there? Is it is it is it is it pure entertainment? Is it just to, to create some sort of conflict? Which and is that interesting? Th- this discussion around Semenya in particular, yeah. it's where where racism and sexism and, and homophobia all meet. Yeah, 
and it's because she's Caster Semenya, because she's Francine Yonsawa, because she's Margaret Wambui, they're not North Americans. They're easier targets for these things, first of all. And second of all, if these guys were North American, any some combination of North American, Northern European, white, uh, this testosterone issue would play out differently. You'd see these same broadcasters pleading for understanding. There'd be a different explanation. And emphasizing that they're all, it's all natural. fully female. Yeah. Right, and that no one's doing anything shady. This is just the way they're born. Um, yeah, there's no doctor on the broadcast, were there? Well, no, exactly. <laughs> and there, uh, there's all kinds of people that will pretend to know stuff about this, and none of them are doctors. Again, talking to a doctor friend on Facebook, he says, hey, I've examined people like this. A lot of them are very good at sports, but they are all, all fully female. So when the doctor says they're fully female, I don't care what the sports writer says. Like One of the yeah. things that kept coming up around Caster Semenya is that um, Tim Layden from Sports Illustrated is a great writer. In any other context, I admire the guy, and he's you know he, he really knows his track and field. And, you know, a lot of mainstream sports media people don't really know the niche sports, mm-hmm. right? But this guy really knows his track and field. But every time he writes about Castro Semenya, he talks about this sex testing she underwent and how the results were never published um, to create this mystery about whether yeah. or not she's actually a woman. Think about how humiliating that is. Someone first of all hauls you into a room, right? Take off your clothes. Let's Take off look. your clothes. Put your feet up in stirrups so they can look at your genitalia. Yeah. First of all. Second of all, when they test you to see if you're cheating, the only way we ever hear about your test is if they find that you're cheating. Yeah. So the fact that her test has never been publicized means that she, whatever criteria they use to, to determine pass or fail, she passed. Yeah. Which is why we've never heard of it. So don't – because I can say the same thing about someone's drug test. Yeah. Right? Usain Bolt took a drug test after the, the, the after winning the gold medal. Uh, the results were never released, mm. and he's never discussed it, <laughs> right? Because he passed, right? You're only going to hear about the results let's, of the drug let's, test. Let's start that on Twitter. Let's start tweeting that out. Right. You're only going to hear about the results of a, of a test if the person failed. So whatever pass-fail is in this gender test, uh, Castor Semenya passed. So let's not talk about it, and let's not try to create this air of mystery where there is none. Yeah. Because, again, it, it diminishes uh, her work. Her talent and her work and her achievement and her resilience to come back uh, after all of this drama. Yeah, just let her live. It let almost be great. It almost seems silly now to ask you about Elliot Friedman and Byron McDonald and and, <laughs> and, and their mistakes, but uh, more Elliot Friedman. Because I mean, I, I guess mistakes can happen. Yeah, you know what? I, and I still hadn't, I hadn't seen. Well, they corrected it post after. So right. If you, so if you didn't see it live, and you I can imagine like how. Disheartening that must have been for Elliot Friedman. Yeah. But he owned up to it. I guess that's a pass. He owned up to it. Yeah. And again, it's one thing just to make a mistake on a broadcast. Yeah. Something else entirely to knowingly perpetuate uh, myths and lies and, 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 and defaming information about hardworking athletes who are playing by the rules. So if you ask me, like, who screwed up bigger? In yep. this game, like, I can forgive. Everyone makes a mistake. Like, if you've never yeah. made a mistake as a journalist, spelled somebody's name wrong, got a date wrong, something like that, yeah. you know, then you're not, you're, not, you're not doing a lot of work. Yeah. Um, you know, and their problem is that this happened live. Uh, and that was a mistake. Whereas yeah. uh, the commentary around the women's 800 meter was a conscious decision mm-hmm. to try to discredit these hardworking, talented women. And yeah. I have a problem with that. Yeah. It's past my bedtime <laughs> or past yeah, your too, bedtime. Man. But thank you so much, Morgan, for uh, for coming in. 
Uh, and, and I really do hope uh, that uh, I, I get to have you in here again and chat about some more stuff. Yeah, anytime, man. All right, man. Thank you. Yes.